Welcome everyone, it's me, Rob Howe, and this is the Diabetics Doing Things podcast. I just wanted to toss out some gratitude your way, because your continued support is the reason we've been able to get these amazing guests on the podcast. But, we're always taking recommendations, so if there's someone you're dying to hear from, but I haven't found a way to interview yet, let me know on Instagram or send me an email. I can think of a few, but I won't mention them by name just yet. Also, uh, word on the street is that our friends at Beyond Type 1 have launched the Beyond Type 1 Power Up campaign. They're inspiring people to get charged up all October long by supporting programs and initiatives that change what it means to live with Type 1. I love Beyond Type 1. I think that their perspective on the Type 1 lifestyle is super refreshing, and so I'd encourage you guys to check it out. So, how do I power up? Uh, I think it starts with the way I treat my body. I do my best to put the best things in my body, whether that's food, exercise, vitamins, or insulin to keep my blood sugars on track, but mostly just to feel good. Throw a little daily meditation on top of that, and you got yourself a Rob Howe power-up cocktail. But the biggest thing for me is getting to interact with other type 1s. Your comments, emails, and messages fill my cup. Uh, And there's no better community than the type 1 community, and I have so much in common with each and every one of you. So, in a way, you're my power-up. Be sure to check out the Beyond Type 1 Power-Up campaign and share your power-up with me. I'm dying to hear it. Alright, let's get back to the episode so we can get back to the real good stuff. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Diabetics Doing Things. We are telling the amazing stories of type 1 diabetics all across the world. Uh, my very special guest today is Dan Allison, calling from uh, from Beverly in the UK. Um, Dan, welcome to the show. Um, thanks. It's nice to be here. <laughs> uh, and and for those of uh, for those of us who are maybe not as familiar with you, uh, you know, you and I uh, have been chatting back and forth via Instagram for the last few months. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, and maybe the story of how you ended up on this podcast. How did you uh, end up as a type one diabetic? Um, well, it was almost 10 years ago now, um, sounds kind of corny, but, um, it was my granny's birthday and I was literally just drinking water all the time. Uh, I can still remember the feeling it was, we were at some, it was like a a garden party kind of thing for a birthday. And I was just drinking water, eating, eating like watermelon and stuff like all the time. Um, and my mum was like, you could be diabetic kind of thing. Uh, so she kind of she's a nurse fortunately so she kind of recognized the signs um so then she got a testing kit and kind of like took me to hospital because she thought i was because i think she she died she detected ketones in my urine um so then i went into hospital um i don't really remember much so i was quite young i was 10 at the time i'm 21 now so it's quite a long time ago but the weird things i do remember are the the first nurse that ever did my blood sugar pricked my thumb, and obviously um, my blood sugar was quite high. I can't remember the top of my head, but she was like, "You're just too sweet. You're just too full of sugar." And to a ten-year-old, <laughs> I, I, that just stuck with me. Um, I don't really remember much. Apart from, apparently, I was in hospital for about a week. Um, I, apparently, I was in intensive care. I I don't honestly. It's just a complete blackout. I remember going in and then coming out, kind of thing. Um, I remember the first injection they gave me as well because I was asleep <laughs> and then I just felt the sharp pain in the side of my leg um, yeah. and I was like what, what's going on here but yeah apart from that I just really like remember going in coming out um, so I've been diabetic 10 years uh, throughout those 10 years I'd say I've had quite a lot of struggles 
um, mainly because I'm very like outgoing and I love to do sports. So when I was younger, I was doing like swimming, football, and I do judo as well quite a lot. Um, and it got a bit complicated because I was quite good at judo. Um, so like I think I've got letters upstairs. I used to be in the East Yorkshire squads and stuff, and I think I got invited to the England training like a few times. Um, and football-wise, I used to play for it's almost like county level football, but it's just it's a step down kind of thing. But the team I was playing in regularly challenging for the league and stuff. Um, and basically, the diet, the doctors at the hospital didn't really know what to do with me because um, obviously I'd hypo all the time. Uh, so that was the main problem. So this went on for like a few years, um, and then fortunately, I saw someone called Francesca Anna when I was about 16, 17, and she gave me a program kind of thing of how to control my like diabetes and do sport, um, which from then it's just kept, like everything's sorted itself out a little bit, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, uh, and, and, I want, then, and I want to I back yeah. up. I don't want to, sorry for cutting yeah, you off. Fine. I want to back up just a little bit <clears throat> because yeah. the here in, in the U.S., we have uh, there's a lot of different types of diagnosis uh, okay. uh, stories that I hear. So the first one uh, is you go in and the doctors are very encouraging uh, and they say you can do you know whatever you want in your life as long as yeah. you take care of yourself. The other end is is almost the exact opposite where they say you know you're not going to have a full life. You know you're gonna you got to constantly worry. You can't do any of these things. Um, right. You were obviously very active um, and continue to be. Uh, what was your, do you, you may not remember exactly, but do you remember that you still felt like you could do all your, all your dreams for your life, all your dreams for sport were still relevant, even with your diabetes? If, if I'm honest with you, I was too young to even have dreams for sport kind of thing. Like I don't need, it was about the same time I was diagnosed that I started playing football kind of thing. So it's kind of like, I was just very young and obviously with my mum being a nurse, she just kind of knew what to do all the time. So I didn't really think about it all they really said to me was they were just like you can do whatever you want to do just you can't join the army and that's the only thing that they said and they said like you've got to let you've got to control your diabetes and not let your diabetes control you if that makes any sense yeah so yeah. they were they were all very for doing things um and said you can still have a really positive life they weren't negative at all they were go get it kind of thing and, and i think that makes, that makes such a huge difference um in you know how people perceive themselves after and you, you know you talked about you know you were still very young so you hadn't really formulated a lot of the you know plans dreams for your life at that point mm -hmm. uh, but still that you uh, you know taking care of your diabetes was was just the entry point for you to be able to do whatever you wanted to do um I'm, i will say like my mum helps incredibly because um i'm really scared of needles <laughs> which doesn't help um, obviously being a diabetic so I had to see a psychiatrist for about two years um, but like while all this was going on like my mum did my injections for me um, yeah like those those early years she pretty much just took it under her wing and like looked after me if that makes sense because I think I was a bit too young to understand everything and, and, and I, I, was, I was planning on asking you about that because I think it's, I mean, parents are such yeah. an important part of a type 1 diabetic's life anyway, um, especially when they're as young as you were when you were diagnosed. But to have someone who was a nurse and really just yeah. very in tune with the symptoms 
uh, during your diagnosis. Basically, just diagnosed you off of you know your your thirst and uh, and you know just drinking so much water and going to the restroom, right? So, yeah. um, what's your relationship like uh, with your mom today with your diabetes? Um, I control it all myself now. I'm 21 now, so basically how it how it developed was in the first like early years um she just took over everything because i was just too young to understand and then she kind of like i kind of got a bit more responsibility as time went on um so i think it was around about 15 16 was when i started taking like a more active like right i'm gonna look after myself now i want to do this kind of thing um and I kind of like went on a few holidays with some friends and spent some time away, like getting used to it by myself. And I think that really helped. And then just through then, like I've just gone strength to strength. But obviously if I ever need any support or anything like that, I could just ring my mum and just be like, well, what do I do? <laughs> but it's kind of nice in that way. Yeah. And uh, my, my mom is, uh, is a huge part of my relationship with, mm-hmm. with diabetes from the, from the beginning, she was, took a very active role, um, and I'm, you know, I'm very grateful for that. Uh, looking back, um, so now let's let's talk a little bit about uh, you know your transition because now you're you now you're in university. You, you and I chatted yeah. briefly. You're you're traveling a lot uh, at yeah. this at this point. Um, what are you know a, a lot of people I think look for tips, tricks, uh, planning, uh, about traveling with type one diabetes. So first of all, I just tell us, you know, kind of what you're, what you're doing, um, and, you know, traveling around and then also, you know, how you prepare, uh, your, with your type one diabetes. Okay. Um, so basically, um, I'm at university in Nottingham, um, and they offered me an exchange program in Prague for a year. So for the last 10 months or so, I've actually been living in the <laughs> living in Prague um, and traveling around Europe a little bit. Um, Obviously, because I knew that I was only going for a certain amount of time, I kind of like stockpiled all the like medication I needed. um, And I literally took a whole suitcase full from England to Prague kind of thing. When I was traveling around Europe, it was kind of, I'd always come back to Prague like every week or so. So the way I was doing it was I kind of had Prague as a base as like my pharmacy, if that makes sense. Right. And then I would take what I needed with me and then go. But one like really easy way, well, I don't know if any other people do it, but I find it really easy when I'm traveling all the time. Um, do you know like clear pencil cases? Yeah, if you get, like, a if tra- you get, like a trapper keeper. I'm sure it's the same. I'm sure it's the same thing. The, yep, we the, call, that's what we call them here. I don't. I don't. I guess I, I, the, everything has okay. different names, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. But you take like a clear pencil case, and um, in it, I just put like uh, a tub of glucose because um, I can. You can get them in in England. You can get them in like packs of ten, so like a Lucozade thing. Um, and then I put like one bottle of test strips, two um, needles for my finger pricker. Um, I'm on the Omnipod, so I just stick a couple of Omnipods in there and like uh, a vial of insulin. And basically, it was kind of like in that pack, I kind of had everything I needed. So I had maybe like 20 of these packs, and it was I found it so easy just to like if I was coming if I was coming back, I could just like swap out the packs, and I knew that I was already always covered. If that makes sense, right? And also, if you were flying anywhere because they were in um, plastic 
see-through conch-like um, bags. Uh, they have had no problem with the airports because I had a problem coming when I was flying out to Prague because I took quite a lot of insulin with me and it wasn't in uh, plastic bags, see-through bags. So I had to take it all out the bottle and then it all had to be checked out and scanned and stuff like that. But when I found that when I placed it all in the trapper keepers, we'll call it, um, it just went straight through, no problem. Um, but yeah, that, that's that's what I found to be one of the most like effective ways of like controlling your diabetes on the go because you always know that you've got like a spare, like literally it's like a pack just with everything in. Um, and it's really, really small. So it's like the size of an envelope. Um, but I find that really helpful. Well, and, and I think it's really, you know, it must be really easy for you, especially when you're running around being very busy. Uh, you don't have to think about what's yeah. in each pack. You can just grab it, put it in your bag and get on the road. Yeah. I mean, it's probably one of the best, like even, even like, I have them at home. I need to make some more actually, because obviously, I have to re- you refill them like every couple of months. Um, but yeah, I, I find that they're so good because like if I was if I'm a, if I'm in if I'm living at home, for example, and I've got to go to Nottingham for a, I don't know a job interview or something like that, I know that if I'm traveling, I can just chuck two in, and then I don't have to worry about it, and I just, it's just there. It's so easy. I'd recommend doing it to like all those people that like have to work around a lot because then you don't have to keep worrying about it and you don't have to keep going through thinking have I got this have I got that have I got this because you've already got like the pre-made packs right and I think that's such an important part of you know really any sort of habit but especially with diabetes is taking the thinking out of it it's like you it's just already mm-hmm. there you just grab it and go and then because you're always going to be worried about everything that's going on around you anyway you got you have to you know if you're going on a job interview you've got plenty on your mind um, so it could be easy to forget something so like my son I mean Go ahead. I did forget my I did forget my insulin once because I didn't I didn't make the this was like before the packs um, and I was supposed to be getting a bus to Bratislava um, and I had to miss the bus because I just completely forgot all my insulin. This was like pre packs if that makes sense. Um, right. But like since doing it, we've never had a an issue like that again, fortunately. Yeah, I uh, I recently traveled uh, to New Orleans uh, over I guess last weekend um for work and i brought everything i mean i've i've got travel pretty much down now but there's always surprises right like my pump yeah. my pump's battery died and it only my batteries only die like once every eight weeks and i have i have spare batteries at my house at my office in my car but i didn't have any with me on the road and so i had to go buy batteries and fortunately it's easier to buy batteries than it is to get insulin um, but yeah. I think, you know, we've all got that story of, you know, when we went out of town or we're preparing to go on a trip and we just forgot that one thing and had to scramble and figure out how to get it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. So, um, you know, you and I have talked a little bit about uh, your work and, and your uh, your vision for raising awareness um, about yeah. uh, people in the UK with type 1. Um, so tell us a little about your uh, about your initiative, about your plans, and uh, and you know what you're what you're doing to raise that awareness. Okay, so basically this all stems from the fact that when I was a kid, and I managed to see Francesca Annan, and she kind of gave me the plans or like the foundations of how to get your nutrition right while like doing sports and having diabetes. Um, so it's fairly new, fairly new. Um, and I've created this page called The Athletic Diabetic. Um, so this was about six months ago, and this all stemmed from 
in the UK, I don't know if it's a similar thing in the US, but in the UK, there's like, I, I joined a Facebook group called Type 1 Teens when I was about 13, 14, and I've just been a member like ever since. So it's kind of like a support group. Um, and in this group, there was uh, a couple of, I think they were 13, 14 year olds uh, looking to do sport. Uh, I think one of them was like trampolining, um, the other one was running or swimming, I can't remember. Um, but basically, they'd put on the group saying how many times they'd have a hypo, they don't know how to control their blood sugar when they're doing sport. Um, basically, it, I just saw myself in them because I, I would have the exact same problems that they were having. Um, and I just sat there and I thought, well, I've already been through this, so why don't I just try and offer them, as a, offer them some advice? So I wrote down like what I would do if I was doing this sport and I sent it to them. Um, and they both were like, oh, thank you. Like, there's not really much like that here in the UK. Like, um, and they tried it and it worked. And I just sat there thinking, like, surely there must be more than two, two other like young diabetics that want to do sport, um, but just feel that because of their diabetes, they can't do it. So this is why I created the Athletic Diabetic, um, with the aim of like increasing a increasing awareness of diabetes itself, like throughout my friends um, and family, but b also to kind of like give a foundation for like those people that actually want to do sport that are diabetic. Um, so the aim of the page is kind of like uh, I, whenever I do a sport or whenever I, I whenever I do a sport, I try to um, I like do my blood sugar before um, I do it after, and depending on what my blood sugar is, I then either adjust my insulin, suspend it, eat. But I write down what I've done in each post kind of thing so that if there's another diabetic that's watching what I'm doing and they're kind of like, oh, I don't know what to do, um, hopefully they can follow what I did and it might work for them. So that's that's kind of the point of the athletic diabetic. <laughs> well, and, and I think it's so important because there's so many different types of situations when you're going into a sport, right? So... Uh, you can have a hypo. You could be high. You could yeah. uh, you could spike up during a high intensity workout or um, over a long distance workout. You could cr have a crash. Um, yeah. You know, if you're in a, a a game type performance, you have a break at the at halftime, and you could test during then and maybe eat something. So, oh. I, I think there's so many. You know, there, there's so much value in sharing those uh, experiences and collecting that data. Because, yeah. you know, a lot of people, uh, myself included, have been through all those scenarios, but maybe never wrote down exactly what they were doing each time uh, and how they responded and what the results were. So, um, yeah, I think that's a very beneficial um, you know, I think, endeavor. I think what helps as well is I'm, like, pretty much willing to try any sport. Um, so I know there's a lot of, like, like swimming, for example, I've read a quite a bit about like different diabetics that do different things with swimming but like um just completely out of the blue there's like a new trampoline um like I can't, I can't think of the word it's like a trampoline pavilion kind of thing where there's like loads of trampolines you pay like five pounds and you can spend an hour like running around on these trampolines like and there's like um foam pits and stuff like that and like it's just i'm willing to try pretty much anything but like a lot of people don't realize that that if you're running around trampolining, that's something completely different. So when I when I go again, this was kind. Of, I went before I did the page. When I go again, I'll write down like everything I do to make sure I don't have a hypo and stuff. Because so I think I try like I'm willing to try pretty much any sport um, and monitor it because that's kind of how I've been doing it as a kid. And I think 
not only is it important that the like data is collected, but on such a wide like range of sports. Well, right. Yeah, and and I think you know not every not every type one diabetic is trying to run a marathon or win a body, no. win a bodybuilding competition or <laughs> you know become a professional uh, football player, right? So. I think it's really important to have those those data points for people who are just wanting to be active and go yeah. and know that they and have the confidence that they can go jump on a trampoline for the whole afternoon, um, yeah. and you know have have a have a regimen for what they can do with that, or when they can go run a five k, or then go play a, a sand volleyball tournament during the day or something along those lines. I think that's really important. Yeah, well, that's 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 the whole point of it, really. Well, it's. I must admit, like, it's having quite an effect on my friends because, like, now my friends are kind of like, if I go to the gym with them or I go running with them, they're kind of like, oh, I've done blood sugar before. Like, and they're paying, like, more of an interest in making sure I'm okay, which I think is kind of nice because at the same time, like, it's kind of raising awareness. And if, if they see, like, I would hope if they if they saw another diabetic who was struggling, they would kind of have an idea of what to do because um, I don't think a lot of, a lot of the youth here in England don't really have a clue about type one diabetes, and it really, really, really annoys me when like most questions they ask are like, "How come you're not fat? Like you've got diabetes. Does that mean you can't have too much sugar? Can you eat everything?" Um, it, it just really grinds my gears. So the whole point of the page as well is to try and preemptively answer those questions. <laughs> right. No, I, I totally understand. I think a lot of people will identify with that. Uh, and relate to the to those feelings um, because you know it's when when people don't understand something that's very close to you, um, yeah, it can it can be very frustrating. I know, uh, especially early on in my uh, journey with type one, I, I suppose I would always, I would have a negative and like anger reaction almost to those things. And you know now I've softened it a little bit uh, to be more. Yeah. Just pe- most people just don't know unless they're unless they've had a family member or a friend with type one. So. Um, yeah. yeah, any any way to raise awareness is super positive. Yeah. Um, I know you uh, you and I chatted a little bit before we uh, we we started recording the interview um, about some of the differences between the U.S. and the U.K. in terms of uh, of medication. Did you have any other yeah. uh, you know topics that you wanted to talk about with me, um, uh, other than sort of insurance and things about differences between U.K. and the U.S. Um, well, to be honest, like I've, I've literally no knowledge at all, pretty much, of how it works in the US. I know that, like here in the UK, um, we we have like regular checkups. So once every three months, uh, I meet with um, my diabetic like doctor. I think it's Doctor Patmore, um, and we have. I'm on the Omnipod, so they download that and they like analyze it and stuff like that and make sure I'm on track. Um, and they've, I must admit, like in the UK, they're very good. Like if you need like any additional support about anything, like if you need to see a dietitian or a psychiatrist, they they literally just on the dot like, there you go, go see them kind of thing. Um, I just wondered, like, is it the same? In, in the US, because when I was in Prague in the Czech Republic, I found they were very negative and very hard to cooperate and nothing really got done and I didn't get to see any of the doctors because they were just so rude and I just I just saw like, I, it made me appreciate the UK a lot more 
Um, and it also made me like wonder, like, well, what's it like in other countries, if that makes sense? Sure. So um, it's a little bit similar uh, in, in terms of the timing. So uh, I think you, our endocrino- endocrinologist would recommend taking every three months and, and having a three-month cadence, especially early on. Uh, yeah. I, I'm on about a six-month cadence now, so I go about twice a year. Um, and I do, we do our A1C, um, I, I have a Medtronic, an older Medtronic pump, so they can't download the data, but they do my A1C test. We talk about how everything's been going, um, any sort of, you know, technology or, or, or whatever medication that's, uh, that's new. We kind of review those things. Um, and then, you know, in, in terms of extra, uh, extra care, like psychology, psychiatry, um, nutrition, um, some of that is just handled sort of on your own. Uh, so you're like, oh, and maybe the, maybe the doctor will recommend someone. Um, but then you sort of go, and, and that's what's called more of like a specialist um, right. uh, here in the U.S. There's like two different categories of physicians. There's like general practitioners. So that's like your doctor. So when just like when your regular your regular checkups, yeah. then you have like your endocrinologists, psychiatrists, psychologists. Um, those are all specialists. So those fall under a different category. Um, but you know we still have access. So it's you know we have it very we have it very good. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that every endocrinologist is good or psychologist or, or yeah. whoever. Um, but we have a lot of options to choose from here in the U.S., depending on kind of how our insurance works and who it covers. Um, just another question. So, like, you said you want a pump. Um, who, who pays for that? Is it the insurance that pays for it, or do you have to fund it yourself? Because in the U.K., um, I was one of the first people to try the Omnipod, purely because of the amount of sports I was doing as a kid. Um, and I blunt I originally said I wouldn't have a pump with wires, so they like trialed this with me, and it's brilliant. But it's all funded by the NHS, and I know that can be quite costly. So, just out of interest, is it the? Do you fund your own pump, or is it insurance? Uh, so it's it's a combination. Uh, so right. the actual device, I think, was like 90 percent covered by insurance, uh, which was which okay. is great. Um, and then my supplies every month, just because my insurance that I have been on, uh, I pay for those out of pocket. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Like, it's, it seems very similar. Yeah, it, it's, it is. It's very similar. I think the, uh, you know, the general big headline is that, uh, you know, England has NHS and the U S doesn't have something that's as comprehensive as that. So, yeah. Um, but there, like I think, like we talked about, there's a mix of like you know public yeah. and private healthcare uh, options depending on you know employment and things of that nature. I know this this might like seem like a bit of a side question, but like, what isn't Trump trying to repeal that, and how does that make you feel? Oh, uh, don't even get me started. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> uh, it it's yes, he is, and it it makes me it makes me feel like the people who are making the decisions don't understand what the people with the chronic illnesses are going through on a day-to-day basis. So um, I think it's more of a political move than an actual, you know, move to try to make people, uh, you know, healthier or have access to healthcare. And it, uh, it makes me upset when I hear people get so upset about people having access to healthcare. I think it's, uh, so that's, that's, that's where I'll leave it. (laughs) Okay. Sorry, I'm I'm just interested because in Prague, kind of made friends with like 
a few Americans and I've been I've been following like American politics for a little bit and it's I just find it a bit interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's uh it's it, we could talk a little bit more about that off <laughs> on, off off air. Um so you mentioned this, uh, and I, I couldn't get her last name when you were talking, but earlier you mentioned uh, a woman named Francesca uh, who really yeah. helped you with your, uh, you know, preparing to live uh, a life with diabetes and playing sports. Yeah. Is, uh, you know, who, who do you look up to in the T1D world as you are thinking about, um, you know, people with type 1 who are, you know, living living their best life or, or people that you've seen, you know, on social media where you're like, wow, you know, that person really inspires me. Can I, can I, I'll be pretty honest, okay, because, like, when I was younger, I felt quite alone because, um, obviously, like, social media hadn't quite taken off to the same extent that it has now. Sure. Um, and when I was, when I was, like, 14, 15, 16 kind of thing, I felt... I felt quite alone and isolated because I would see like I'd be sat in the waiting room, for example, waiting for my diabetic appointments and stuff. And I just look around and I just didn't see like any of the kids that were like me because I was really skinny because I kept doing all the exercise and sport and stuff. Um, and it was kind of like, well, when I when I when I would go to the um, appointments because of the sport I was doing, they didn't really they didn't really know what to do because I was such an anomaly, if that makes sense. Um, and all the other diabetics I spoke to weren't interested in sport as much as I was. So from quite a, like probably, probably about 14, 15, 16, the only sports, like sports persona that I knew that had diabetes was a 19, 1980s Tottenham player called Gary Mabbott. Um, uh, so he lifted the FA Cup with Tottenham and he was considered one of Tottenham's best footballers kind of thing. Um, but as for like when I was growing up, he was the only only person I knew that had diabetes and did sport. So it's been a bit of a tricky one for me. And I think that's like one of the other reasons that I started The Athletic Diabetic, just because I don't want kids to think they're alone. and I don't I don't want people just to just because you do sport and like. Does this make sense? Like, just because you do sport and you're diabetic, like, you're not alone. There are people like you. Um, you don't have to, like, regress into a life of just sitting around doing nothing. Like, you can go get your life. Um, of course. And, yeah, and, and I think, you know, that's something that I've learned a whole lot more as I've become more involved is that the more you connect with other people with type yeah. 1, the more you're involved with the community – I mean, there are literal like health benefits. Like, if if you look at my A1C like chart, uh, for if you know for my blood sugars since I've gotten yeah. involved, since I've started diabetics doing things, it uh, they've improved by like you know twenty five percent. It's like twenty five percent better than it was. So yeah. my A1C was seven point three then, now it's six point one. So um, it, it's pretty it's pretty staggering how big of a difference it makes when you are able to connect with other people like yourself and you you don't feel alone i mean literally since starting the athletic diabetic obviously i found you um i found there's i think there's someone called diabetic running girl in mm -hmm. belgium i think you follow her as well i'm not sure yep um and then there's another guy who was in a very similar situation to me called the aesthetic diabetic um he's also from the u.s um, he seems like quite a nice guy, and I just it's 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 comforting to me to see that there's other people living the same kind of lifestyle. And I think 
it just it's just comf- like I can't describe like it's just comforting. Obviously, to me, I've only found these people out like in the last like six months or so. Um, but yeah, like I'm I'm so happy to have like found them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> it's hard to explain. It, it it is. It's hard to explain. It's it's just a feeling of like oh I'm I'm there actually are other people like me and yeah. and you you start to uncover this entire world that you really didn't know existed yeah. before and. It's, uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a great adventure. I think you're uh, and you're just really uh, scratching the surface. I think it's gonna, yeah. it's gonna be really great for you. I'd say it's like a feeling of belonging because, um, obviously being diabetic and doing sport, I've never really felt the same like connection with other diabetic people. But at the same time, I've never really felt the same connection with normal people that do sport because they're not diabetics. So they don't understand what it's like to have hypos. And there's been like football coaches that have been telling me to run when I have to say, look, physically, I can't run because I'm having a hypo. And it just kind of goes in a bit of a cycle. But now that I found like this community online, um, like I just feel like a sense of belonging. Does that make sense? Because it's, it's just like everyone's so similar. And it, it just, it's just made me quite happy, basically. <laughs> Yeah, of of course. Yeah, I mean that that and that right there is uh you know that feeling you can't you can't replicate that, right? That's there's no substitute for for feeling that way. I think it's um yeah, of course it makes sense. I I, I get that every time I talk to somebody about diabetics doing things, I think it's it's uh it fills my cup is what I say. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, um I I asked this question um to all of my uh, say you're, you travel a lot, so you'll get this. So you're in an airport, uh, you've got like 30 seconds before they're going to shut the gate to your flight and you got to be on that plane. You can't miss this flight. And you run into somebody who is either recently diagnosed with type one or is struggling with their, with their type one. Um, what's the one thing that you say to them in that 30 seconds before you have to get on that plane? The one thing that you tell them. You're, you're not alone. Keep going. Like, you just there's there's so like I know it's seen I know a lot of friends like that and they they think it's the end of the world and they're struggling but like honestly things will just get better just keep going just keep plodding on it's it's not the end you can still live like a really full life um I mean I'm I'm an example like I'd say I'm trying to be an example to you kind of thing and just honestly keep going it's it's not the end I know it seems dark but it's just not the end <laughs> I hope that's is that thirty seconds? Or? <laughs> that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you got to jump on that plane. No, but that's that's fantastic. Uh, yeah, I, t- I totally agree. You're not alone, and the more that you get involved, uh, you know, the more that uh, you'll start to realize that. And I think that's what, yeah. um, you know, over the years, my my one thing may have changed from you know you can you can do anything you put your mind to to get involved, tell your story, yeah. connect with other people. Um, you know, it's it, it makes a huge difference. I mean, I thought that question was going to be very different. Um, I thought, because obviously I've been going through airports a lot, and I thought that you were going to say, like, have you had any awkward encounters with uh, airport security? Because huh. um, <laughs> there's this one time, honestly, um, it was absolutely hilarious. So uh, I don't know, have you seen an Omnipod? They kind of, like, stick to you. Like, yeah, a long yeah. Kind of thing, mm-hmm. it? So... Um, I've taken all my things, everything's out of my pocket. Obviously, I've got nothing else on me. And I walk through the machine, the gates kind of thing, and it goes beep, 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 beep. 
and then um, they've started. They're like, right, come here. We need to strip. We need to search you. Sorry. And then they've started like patting me down, and they felt my Omnipod. Um, and I've had to explain like first, like bear in mind, I was in a foreign country where they didn't really speak English, um, and they kind of thought it was like a terrorist thing. And then they like right. come out, and they've got all these like swabs and stuff, and they like started swabbing it, and eventually they realised everything was fine. Um, and I had to try and explain to them that it was just my Omnipod, but um, it did create a rather awkward encounter for about 20 minutes when I was just sat on this chair being like almost interrogated by these foreign foreign officials about what this thing was that was attached to me because they didn't really speak English. So that was my awkward airport encounter. <laughs> yeah, I've had, I've had a few of those myself. Like in China, I had one... Uh-huh. Uh, where yeah again nobody speaks english so you are you sort of have to go through the process of you know letting yeah. them wipe it down going through uh here in the u.s though now we have this thing called tsa pre which is uh which is like uh, it basically there's two lines so you have one line that goes through like the body scanner and does the right. you know the x-ray and then you have one that's just like the metal detector and my pump doesn't go off with the metal detector so uh, and TSA pre, you get to keep your shoes on and you don't have to take your computer out of the bag. So you just like go through this line and it is perfect for diabetics because like awesome. there's, you can just keep it all hidden and you just like go all the way through. And there's one, there's a version of it for, uh, international travel. I think it's called like global access pass or whatever. But, uh, yeah, that's my, that's my T1D life hack of the, of the week is the, <laughs> is go get TSA pre if you're in the U S. Um, yeah. Dan, thanks so much for coming on, uh, coming on the show, and for reaching out and uh, and for staying diligent because we've been chatting back and forth for the last few months. So, uh, really, really uh, inspired by what you're starting to do, um, and I think you know, based on what we've talked about, I think the what's going to pay off the most for you is when you really get continue to get involved and find that you're not alone, and there are a lot of other people who could benefit from uh, you know the experience that you had. So. Um, you mentioned this a few times, but I think you you're the athletic diabetic on Instagram, and I think the spaces um, are uh, are underscores. Um, I think it's like the underscore athletic underscore diabetic. Perfect. If that makes sense. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah. and I'll include that link back to you in the show notes. Um, but yeah, man, thanks so much for coming on, and uh, you know, really looking forward to uh, you know what you do from here, and um, and and excited to be a part of that journey. Thank, thank, can I just say thank you for giving me a platform to be able to express my views and yeah, cheers, man. Like, <laughs> means a lot. Thanks for listening to Diabetics Doing Things. Subscribe to our newsletter for weekly emails and behind-the-scenes content. And if you or someone you know has an amazing story to share, send an email to rob at diabeticsdoingthings.com.